Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We are T minus one week from the Super Bowl. T minus one week off the Senior Bowl. And we've got a lot of juicy offseason rumors and whatnot. We'll get all into all of that today. Welcome to the Bump Vic. Jared Bailey with you as always, joining me to my right. Live from Radio Row, host of the Gojo Show on DraftKings, Notre Dame's favorite son, Mike Golick's hopefully favorite son. Maybe Jake might take him over. I don't know. It's Mike Golick Jr. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing well. On any given day, as my dad and mom have often reminded us, we are being ranked. My parents do have a favorite kid, and it's solely based on how we treat them and make them feel any given day. So I haven't seen the rankings yet for today, TBD. Okay, well, uh, we'll keep a close out, uh, keep a close eye out for that on your Twitter page uh, to to see what their what the rankings will be. But hey, it's good seeing you, man. I appreciate you for coming on um, live from Radio Row. Busy week ahead of you. Uh, how how are things? And uh, I appreciate you being on, man. No, definitely. Thanks for having me. It's good here. It's uh, you know, sports media prom. It's nice to do. You know, the <laughs> pandemic obviously for a couple of years affected our ability to be out here like this, but to be back inside a well-lit convention center with the smell of fast food and coffee in the air around a bunch of people that only grow sweatier, tired, and more hungover as the week goes along is what we do. What we all do this for. Yeah, no, I was just in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and that pretty much that was a perfect encapsulation of everything that that week was. Yeah, um, so because a couple years ago, obviously, it was fresh off, like still kind of in the midst of COVID and whatnot. They didn't have everything that they did, but this week, I mean, the uh, the media breakfast and everything with all the players, it was just uh, it was a hectic, busy, sweaty, somewhat stenchy week. But it was, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I, I do appreciate that. At least in those environments, they take you guys outdoors. They air you out a yeah. little bit here we're just inside sealing in all the juices that's a lovely thing to think about <laughs> um we'll get into it real quick uh super bowl this week chiefs and eagles i did see uh, Phil, uh field yates tweeted this out today and it's incredible how evenly matched these two teams are both teams went 16 and 3 both teams scored 546 points each team had six all pros including a kelsey brother and their quarterback and they were both number one seeds in their respective conferences uh as evenly matched uh, a game as we could ask for uh the talk will be around patrick mahomes and jalen hurts but fair enough they're both fantastic players um a very intriguing matchup though the one in the trenches two of the best offensive lines in football two of the best defensive lines in football i know you love looking for an excuse to talk about line play so i'm going to give it to you um biggest factor uh in terms of the in the trenches for both sides yeah, I think really uh, for Kansas City defensively, can Chris Jones have the same impact or even close that he had last week? He was dominant against a matchup that he was supposed to win. The three backups for Cincinnati really, really played as well up to and through their athletic ability and their capabilities as possible in that game against Buffalo. The snow helped, but it was a great game plan, and those guys went out there and did the damn thing. It was a different ball game against Frank Clark and against Chris Jones this past week. And so I'm curious, can Chris Jones replicate that against an offensive line that is the most complete in football, that has managed to somehow stay healthy, Lane Johnson playing through a torn groin like an animal? Can he have that same kind of impact? Because that's what it's going to take. This Philadelphia machine is built off of Jalen Hurts in the zone read game with Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell and the rest of this group. And the fact that they've got the simplest path from point A to point B, everything else is built off the house of, hey, we can just line up and walk San Francisco, the best run defense in the NFL, off the ball running inside zone, zone reads over and over again. So can they do that? Because if you're the Eagles, your offense is incredibly potent, but 
if you can do that thing naturally that keeps Mahomes off the field for a little while, that's pretty good feather in your cap. On the other side, for Kansas City, it's going to be, and we saw some shades of this against the Bengals last week, what protection plan do they have in place to address Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, and the rest of this Philadelphia Eagles defense that had 70 sacks in the regular season. They've been one of the best pressure teams in the NFL. They're going against a very good offensive line, but you even saw last week against a group in Cincinnati that's really good, but not in the same air as Philadelphia. They had tight ends, especially lined up by Josh Wiley at right tackle for most of the game, providing some help there, chipping on the way out, quick double teams, running backs used in protection, quick motion at the snap, more motion at the snap. Then we saw even for a Kansas City offense that does move around a lot. And so how will they use those things to their advantage against this very specific matchup where you're going to get a lot of times five guys up at the line of scrimmage trying to create one-on-ones with your offensive line? I'm going to be intrigued, too, to see if Kansas City's offense kind of plays it a similar way that they did against Jacksonville, because as good as this Eagles defense is, uh, the weakness of it uh, is the linebacking core. Uh, we saw Travis Kelsey had 18 targets against the Jaguars, 14 catches and two touchdowns. They ran a lot of two, three tight end sets, getting guys like Noah Gray and Justin Watson involved as well from that spot. Uh, we look at the cornerback matchups, too, where uh, the rookies for Kansas City, led by Trent McDuffie, have been playing really well. Uh to the surprise of many, they they showed up big time against the Bengals, had multiple takeaways. Uh, it's going to be another test this week because on the other side, okay, you got Darius Lee, you got James Bradbury, you've got a very good core of cornerbacks going up against a less than stellar receiver core, um, which obviously, I mean, Mahomes has made it work this season with the year that he's with, that he's had. Um, but that's that's going to be something to pay attention to. Can the Chiefs cornerbacks continue playing at this at this high level? I mean, they've got. I think four rookies that get really solid playing time on that side of the ball in the secondary. So yeah. if, uh, if AJ Brown and Devonte Smith and everybody uh, can, if, if at least one of them can break off something, that'll be, that'll be more than what the Bengals did. So that'll be a fun matchup to watch as well. Yep. I think you saw it too. There were a couple of spots early in the game on some drives where when they got McDuffie in the slot for a little bit, we're able to get some matchups there. You saw them go to Tyler Boyd, go to some of the tight end matchups there. And so, Dallas Goddard, we know him and A.J. Brown have really been guys that have been vital in the middle of the field and opening that up for Jalen Hurts for a lot of the year. So uh, you're right. It is a tall task for them. And we saw them step up, right? Cook making the great play on the tip ball that ends up becoming an interception uh, against a pair of great receiving options for the Cincinnati Bengals. But you've got a Philadelphia offense that between Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, you throw Dallas Goddard in there, has been a record setter for Philadelphia most of this year. So you're right. Fascinating matchup. Sticking in the AFC, uh, a lot of conversations going on around the contract situation of Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Uh, the latest report coming from Jeremy Fowler saying that they could be over $100 million away in terms of the guaranteed money that Lamar wants compared to what Eric DeCosta and company are willing to give him. Uh, it seems more and more likely that we could see a situation where Lamar Jackson is tagged and traded to the highest bidder. Uh, your thoughts on that entire situation in Baltimore and what, what's, uh, what could transpire going forward with Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I mean, it's a Baltimore front office that is cursing a contract inside their division and what you saw with Deshaun Watson that's sort of obscured this entire conversation. And we know Lamar represents himself. That presents unique challenges in a negotiation and how personal that can be and what he thinks he's owed. But for what he's accomplished relative to what a player like Deshaun's accomplished, relative to what a player like uh, Kyler has accomplished, there's really no comparison. Lamar Jackson has had much more on his resume to start his career than any of those other guys that we've talked about. And so I think when it's all said and done, 
it's going to look like more and more of a mistake for Baltimore to have not gotten this deal done ahead of a lot of those. So often we see there is a benefit to the player in waiting and being a guy that signs later because you get those contracts that stack up and move the market for that position. And for Lamar Jackson, that team mortgaged its future in so many ways and constructed its roster in so many ways to accommodate you and the unique, incredible skill set that you have as a player. And so he does have a lot of the leverage in this situation. Another team would bend over backwards for that kind of talent. And for Baltimore, do you really want to risk having lost everything that you've built over this right now for a player that you claim to want to have there that you believe can be really successful for you? It just seems like for as great as that front office is, and it's usually been one of the best in the NFL for Eric DaCosta and company, I'm just fascinated they let it get to this point. I said it a few weeks ago, and this is before they fired Greg Roman, um, that if they were to move off Greg Roman, I think that that would be somewhat telling of what they could potentially do in the future because Roman's offense was very specifically built around what Lamar Jackson does well. He was there in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, so he, they built, like you said, they built that offense really around Lamar's skill set. Um, and look, it's not to say that this is Lamar Jackson's fault or anything, but if you look at it from DeCosta's pr- perspective, saying like, look, you've gotten hurt on the tail end of the last two seasons. We missed the playoffs one year. And we're one and done in the following year because, you know, we didn't have you. Um, so from a player's perspective, I mean, if you're Lamar Jackson, how are you approaching that side of things? Uh, what, the side relative to injury? I mean, I yeah. look at those injuries and say that everyone talks about Lamar Jackson's injuries as if they happened as a result of his play style, right? It's supposed to be, well, yeah, look at how injured he gets. And so why are you going to pay someone who plays like him? Both of the injuries that ended his last two seasons were hits in the pocket. It was a hit on a screen and a hit that came from his blind side. Stuff that could happen to any quarterback, just bad falls, bad luck hits. They weren't soft tissue injuries. They weren't something because it happened because he was trying to juke someone in the open field. Guy's backpedaling on a screen and got hit by a guy he couldn't see on the other side. So I'm Lamar Jackson. I'm saying, hey, this is a violent sport. Like, make sure, as he's had to deal with the last couple years, an offensive line change that almost did basically a full hockey line switch. They changed schemes two years ago in the middle of the season and went to more gap-heavy stuff. And he's been there steering the ship through all of that. He's been as important as any one player. I read the Greg Roman firing as something that could be, to me, a sign of Lamar Jackson staying. The criticism's been since going back to when David Culley was hired by the Texans. Hey, you guys need to upgrade the passing attack here. Lamar Jackson is someone that played in Bobby Petrino's offense in college. He's displayed an aptitude for offenses that rely on heavy passing attacks. But moreover, You've had bad luck with receivers getting injured and the guys that you've drafted. But I think as much as anything, I thought that was an admission that, okay, we want to build a better future for the quarterback that has shown us so much value already in an offense that we don't feel like has always gone and grown in the places that it needs to and that everyone else identified it had to. Yeah, and you mentioned the receivers too. They haven't had any luck landing a big-time receiver. Like Their big splash this past season was landing 35-year-old Deshaun Jackson, who ended up being waived before the end of the season. And guys like, you know, Demarcus Robinson, um, Rashad Bateman, like you said, got hurt. Like, they didn't really have it. It was basically Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews versus the world uh, for, for the Ravens this season. Um, so I will be intrigued on how they decide to, to do this going forward, um, especially because the fact that he does represent himself, so that could cause a little bit more tension than if it were an agent in there doing the negotiations. is going to be fascinating to watch throughout the offseason. Uh, we'll get a little bit lighter here. Um, I'm sure that you saw the uh, the image that, that Tom Brady had tweeted out earlier today, um, which I would bet any amount of money if he has any sort of dating app, that is the first picture that we will see on it. Um, 
so for those who haven't seen it's tom brady in bed and in briefs covering up his bits with his hand and i think he tagged julian edelman in it um and a few other guys i uh, so this brings me to the next question mike golick are you a briefs boxer briefs or briefs man or boxer brief man uh i go uh boxer briefs a little bit longer than what tom brady is uh is dealing with there but i like everything kind of sealed in there if that makes sense i i'm not far off from his style but my thighs are a little bit closer together than tom's and so i can't afford to not have the fabric down there separating both parties or else we will get friction and anytime you have friction you've got conflict that arises and i don't need that conflict on any given day here with the gams that that's a that's a great point. Very good point. Very well taken. Uh, your former colleague Dan Orlovsky at ESPN. Oh God! Um, <laughs> notorious for his for his food takes. Um, in terms of any controversial food takes that you have, do you have any? Uh, and if so, what is the largest one? Controversial food takes. So for years, the one that I kind of the hill I died on was. I didn't think fruit had any place in dessert. I thought most mm. most desserts were made worse by the presence of fruit. I come to dessert to sin. I want to do bad things and hurt my body. Fruit is representing something healthy. It does not belong in these spots. Now, I've softened my stance a bit for things like bananas, for the compotes that you see on top of something like a cheesecake. There are limited occurrences where I think fruit can coexist. But in general, my thought process is, we're coming to dessert to do bad things. We all understand. It's like going to the movie theater. When they started putting the calorie counts up for movie theater food, I thought that was an act of terror against us as a consumer. I come here to do bad things. I want to eat all this junk food and enjoy my time at the theater. I don't need you reminding me that I'm doing probably irreversible harm to my body. So those are kind of the things that I've always stuck out on. But as I get older, I realize that uh, I think Dominique Foxworth once said absolutes are for babies and stupid people. So I will say that more often than not, I would like my fruit and dessert separated. I um, I recently reinvigorated my love of horseradish. Um, and I think that it might be the, the best condiment, just period. Um, better than ranch, better than whatever your, your go-to condiment is. Um, it is fantastic on onion rings. I had it on a roast beef this past week and I, I could have died a happy man um horseradish everybody give horseradish a chance Do you like horseradish mike uh horseradish is fine uh i will push back uh ranch is the king of the castle ranch is mm. the universal solvent it's the best teammate it's the kyle shanahan offensive condiments you can put <laughs> any other player in it and make them a success somehow from a you know delectable salad to a uh, little caesar's hot and ready pizza it can meet everyone where it is and somehow manage to improve them all. So uh, I'll take ranch versus the world, but what do I know? I've just been fat for the majority of my life. I don't, I don't dislike ranch. Don't get me wrong. I just think that people get a little too crazy with it sometimes. Like if you want to put it on, like you said, pizza, sure. Salad, sure. When we're putting it on just extravagant other, you know, things that it doesn't need to be on, that's where I, I push back a little bit. To me, ranch is like the Chick-fil-A of uh, of condiments. Like I enjoy Chick-fil-A. I'm not going to wait 45 minutes in line for like an above average chicken sandwich, if that makes sense. That's kind of how I feel about In-N-Out Burger, so I'm with you. Never had In-N-Out. I've never gotten to the West Coast to be able to have it. It's a, it's a good burger for the price point. It is about 75% hype uh, as much as anything. Same thing. I'm not going to wait in a half-hour-long car line uh, to go and say I had the experience. The fries are kind of eh. The shakes are decent, uh, but again, the burger's good. It's good at the price it's at. You don't want to start putting it in the realm of some of the other fast food joints that rise above a certain level. 
Is it fair to say that In-N-Out is the Disney World of burger joints in terms of like you go there just to say you went there, but then you get there and you realize it's probably not as great as everybody makes it out to be? I don't know, man. I had a good time at Disney growing up. Did you like Disney? My dad, so we lived in Orlando for a bit when I was a kid. My dad was working at ESPN, so we had the park passes. We went all the time. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I had a pretty good time, and now I go back there. They got the Dole Whip stuff. You can go drink at Epcot if you're an adult. I haven't done the Disneyland in California yet since I've been out there, but uh, I got, I mean, I'm, I'm old now. I got friends who have young kids who are at that age where they're getting their first real exposure to Disney. Sure. So Uncle Mike is probably going to do be due for a return trip to Disneyland or Disney World soon. So I'll report back with my findings. Maybe it's cynical of me, but the only I've only been there once. So again, uh, I, maybe I just need a little bit more exposure. But it was one time in July, like 95 degrees, 100% humidity. Oh. I was just waiting for death's warm embrace uh, throughout the entire day. Um, yeah, that's that's so, your mistake right there. You fail to prepare. You prepare to fail. That's you know day yeah, day yes. one stuff. You were uh, you were prepared to fail at Disney. So yeah, go when it's a little bit cooler. Probably don't. I, I don't know if you have kids or anything like that. I but, don't. Uh, those are the only people I feel for at Disney or in any circumstance when it comes to travel is parents that have to take their kids to Disney World. They yeah. all look like they are, to use your words, looking for death's longing embrace. Uh, mm. Parents should never have to pay for anything in the airport or at Disney World. If I were going to run for office, that would be the platform on which I ran. <laughs> I think you get elected in, in a landslide, Michael Jr. Um, before I let you go, I know you got a busy week going on Radio Row. I do have to say this, um, and he's not here to see it, but... Um, the Golics have meant a lot to me throughout my entire life. Without your father, I wouldn't have wanted to do this, and I'm lucky enough to get paid to do this. Without him, I I don't think I would have. Um, so being able to grow up watching him, and then my later high school years and throughout college watching you, uh, it's been a big factor on my life. So I appreciate you, I appreciate your family, because like I said, without without you guys, there's a good chance I don't I don't do this to begin with. So genuinely appreciate it. Appreciate that, man. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, that was I think one of the cool parts of you know seeing dad when he was finishing up his time at ESPN radio and having had a front row seat to what he had done and accomplished throughout his career as a broadcaster. I always tell people I was three years old. My dad was playing football. I don't remember that. I remember him calling games and I remember Mike and Mike and what he did with ESPN radio and to see the reception that he got from coworkers of his who had come up and been affected by that show, who had had their career trajectory altered because of that show. And then to hear from fans, you know, parents that watch with their kids, families that welcomed a child into the world with that show on or used it to mourn the loss of loved ones. It was really cool seeing how much dad had meant to a lot of people and the fact that, you know, we as a family have always kind of gotten to share him with everybody else and, and, you know, him being someone that's made our lives so much better as our dad behind closed doors in ways that no one else will get to see. The world got to kind of experience that and to see the way that people loved him back was pretty cool. So thanks for that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I was eight when I started watching him. Uh, I was a freshman when Mike and Mike ended. I cried at, at the at the ending ceremony. I cried when he left. He's uh, yeah, never met the man, never talked, never had the privilege of talking to him yet, at least. Uh, but large impact on my life, man. So and I appreciate you uh, being able to kind of carry on that legacy because you're kicking ass and everything that you're doing. Um, so enjoy the hell out of your content. Enjoy the hell out of you. And uh, I always appreciate the uh, the Slippery Rock University love as well anytime I see it. So shout out to you for that as well, my friend. Absolutely, man. Got to rep hard for the good brand over at Homefield. So thanks for having me, Jared. I appreciate it, brother. All right, buddy. Take care. Have fun at Radio Row. That is Mike Gold Jr. Gojo Show on DraftKings.
as we take off here. Senior Bowl stuff was this past week. So I'll dive into that a little bit. Um, you can read my entire uh, Senior Bowl notebook over on uh, Bears Wire for USA Today. Um, just a little bit of uh, analysis balanced with humor. You can read all of that on uh, Bears Wire for USA Today. There are some guys that stuck out, so I'll get into a little bit of that now. Um, if you're looking for, if you're a team who needs a running back or at least a little bit of help at running back or an explosive playmaker, uh, Ty J Spears from Tulane stole the show this past week. Really good in terms of patience, uh, finding the hole, pass blocking as well. Uh, I believe he said to uh, Mike Tanier that he's a four down back, which uh, which is a, one of the funnier quotes from this past week in Mobile. He was lighting up the entire show, man. Um, had a really good run uh, in team scrimmage, finding the A-gap right away. He put a guy on ice skates uh, on, a, on a little whip route uh, during, I believe it was seven on sevens. So he he stole the show this past week, running back from two-line Tajay Spears. Others, uh, Julius Brents, the cornerback out of Kansas State. A lot of uh, a lot of hype around him. He played really, really well. Caillou Blue Kelly uh, as well. There's a ton of guys making plays. And upping their draft stock, Evan Hall, the running back from Northwestern, Michael Wilson, the receiver from Stanford, Trey Palmer from Nebraska. Uh, like I said, I'm touching on all of these, you can read my entire notebook over on Bears Wire, uh, and you can find it. I tweeted it out at NFL on Twitter. It was an exhausting week, man. A lot of fun though, being able to to meet up with a ton of a ton of friends in the industry, being able to, you know, see these guys in person that you don't necessarily get to see too much see them a few times a year and it's always a, a fun week by the end of it you are a little bit tired you're ready to you know just kind of to get home unwind for a little bit um but a very fun week down in mobile for the senior bowl really good to to be able to spend time with uh with everybody uh and get to meet new people and get to meet people who you follow and who follow you and uh just get, grab a grab a drink at night talk things over get to get more acquainted with one another it was a lot of fun uh, so again, my uh, Senior Bowl write-ups, reports uh, from day one of practice, day two of practice, complete notebook over on Bears Wire for USA Today. You can find it uh, at NFL on Twitter. Appreciate Mike Gold Jr. for joining me today. Um, we'll continue going for a few more minutes just because I did want to build off of the Lamar Jackson thing. And I know it's something that I've talked about at length uh, for the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I'm going through the like the comments of uh, everything pertaining to what I said about Lamar Jackson, why Atlanta seems to be a team that sticks out to me. And the one glaring comment I keep getting is that they're not one player away. They're not one player away. They need to build a foundation. Well, it's very rare that a team is one player away. But the Bucks weren't one player away when they signed Tom Brady. Yeah, they had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. But the defense, if you look at their numbers from the year before, it wasn't great. And luckily, they added the likes of, you know, a lot of younger talent in the secondary. Antoine Winfield, they, they added him the year that they, they acquired Tom Brady. And they got better on that side of the ball, but they weren't one player away. It's very rare that a team is one player away from just taking off and being a Super Bowl team. And even then, we see teams like Buffalo who go into the year and we think that they added that one player in Vaughn Miller and they hit a few ups and downs and then they lose Vaughn Miller 
and then they get knocked in the divisional round by Cincinnati at home as favorites. And they get eliminated by the Bengals, which by the way, you know, great team. That's fine. But this felt like a year that it was boomer bust for, for Buffalo. So saying that, oh, they're not one player away. They're not one player away. Build a foundation. Like, think about that for a minute. If you're a free agent, if you're a guy who wants a trade or has a no trade clause in his contract and says, okay, I want to pick where I'm going to go. Where are you going to go to? Team A, who has Lamar Jackson at quarterback and an offense that he will thrive in. Arthur Smith runs something similar to what he ran in Baltimore. We saw it last year with Marcus Mariota. And they were still somehow in the playoff picture to like week 15 with Marcus Mariota as their quarterback. Or would you rather have Andy Dalton under center with largely the same roster? You're probably not going to lure a lot of free agents in because no disrespect to Andy Dalton, but he's not going to be a franchise guy. And if you bring in somebody who's a clear bridge, that's going to send the message that you're not going to be a contender. And they can roll into this year with Desmond Ritter. I think that's going to send the same message too. Desmond Ritter is largely unproven, but he didn't show anything last year that says, oh, he's got it. Like, if you're Atlanta, you're, you should be all over this. Because so there's got to be calls. As we talked about earlier, you know, they seem to be very far away from agreeing on the guaranteed money, and it's very possible that he gets tagged and traded. Because even if he gets tagged, like he could say, I'm not playing for you on the franchise tag. Send me somewhere else. Or he could just say, yeah, I'm not going to play whatsoever. And they hold on to him for a year and he doesn't play. I, I just don't see, I just don't see that happening. So you can say, oh, they're not a player away. They're not a player away. Sure. They're not. But when you have a dead set franchise quarterback, it's a hell of a lot better of a foundation to build around rather than going in it with Desmond Ritter and crossing your fingers. Because if you got a guy like Lamar, that's going to bring in more talent because they want to play with him. And then they see your vision. They say, okay, they got an elite quarterback. All right. And a weak division. All right. Yeah, let's do it. But if you're rolling there with Desmond Ritter, I don't think Desmond Ritter is luring a lot of free agents. Just my two cents. So you go out and you get Lamar Jackson. Doesn't mean they're that they're going to win the Super Bowl in year one. No, like not every team's going to be the Bucks with Brady, where he just comes in and everything's great. They went seven and nine that year prior, and then Brady came in. They brought in you know other guys like Antoine Winfield. They brought in other guys in the secondary to make it better, and they won the Super Bowl. But again, I'm not saying that that's going to happen immediately with Lamar Jackson in Atlanta. But you look at the rest of the NFC South, who their starting quarterbacks currently are. It's Matt Corral, Taysom Hill. I think that they're going to be okay. God only knows who Tampa's quarterback is going to be now, unless they go out and make a move for someone like Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. But if you're the Falcons, and you can grab this division by the throat, now obviously Carolina's making a lot of good moves in terms of their coaching staff. But if you're the Falcons, you can get ahead of the game and get easily the best quarterback in that division by a few country miles. You go and do it. So 
I don't want to hear, oh, they're not a player away. They, they have $83 million in cap room. They can get Lamar Jackson and get other guys. I just don't see, there's no legitimate argument for why the Falcons shouldn't do this. There's never a legitimate argument on why you should never add an elite quarterback. Ever. Because if you don't have a quarterback, you don't really have anything. And you can point out, oh, the Ravens with Trent Dilfer, the Buccaneers with Brad Johnson. Yeah, that was 20 years ago, and the game is very, very different. Very different. And even in recent examples, like Philadelphia in 2017, Carson Wentz was playing at an MVP level. Nick Foles came in, they dummied down the offense, and they had a as close to a perfect roster as you can assemble. The Falcons don't have that. You're not going to just roll with Desmond Ritter and be successful. Get Lamar Jackson, sign some other guys at positions that you need help at, and own the NFC South. Because there's only so many quarterbacks that will be on the market that can legitimately be difference makers. I just mentioned two of them with Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. The odds of them both going to the same division, I mean, it seems like Carr is a leading front runner for the Jets. Garoppolo could be in that mix too. He could be going to the Raiders. Uh, like, there's a lot of things that that could happen. I don't see both of them ending up in the NFC South. Like, if you get Lamar Jackson, you can put the NFC South in a stranglehold for the foreseeable future, so long as he stays healthy and everything. There's not any sort of argument ever for not getting a franchise quarterback, for not getting an elite quarterback, for not getting an elite talent, especially when you have an unproven commodity. There's a giant question mark at quarterback. Coming off the year in which you were still somehow close to making the playoffs because the division was so bad. There's no argument against it. If there comes a situation where Lamar Jackson is officially on the trade market, Atlanta should be not hanging up the phone until a deal gets done. Is it going to cost a lot? Absolutely. It's going to cost a king's ransom. You saw what Russell Wilson went for? It's going to go for more than that. It's going to go for more than that. Probably going to include three first-round picks. But guess what? I highly doubt anybody you draft with those three first-round picks is going to be as good or as valuable as a top-ten quarterback who is maybe the hardest quarterback in the lead to game plan against when he's fully healthy. There's nothing that can top that. So sure, you can you can get, you know, okay, we got a linebacker that's pretty good in the first round. Okay, we got a safety in the first round that's pretty good. Guess what? The Jets had a safety in the first round too, Jamal Adams, and then they got rid of him because they didn't have any success with him because they didn't have a quarterback. No excuse for not adding Lamar Jackson if you're if you're Atlanta. Yeah, it's going to cost a crap ton. Guess sometimes you got to pull the trigger on things like that to be successful. And we can't look at the Russell Wilson situation as an example of why to not do that. I don't know what <laughs> Russell Wilson just seemed to forget how to play football. Can Sean Payton save him? Maybe. Is he ever going to be what he was in Seattle? I don't think so. But we can't look at that as the glaring example of as to why you should not trade for a guy like Lamar Jackson, who on his best day is top five, six quarterback in the league in terms of the, the dual threat that he brings. Hard to make an argument against that. And if it 
if he becomes available, Atlanta should be all over it, and they shouldn't hang up until Eric DaCosta says deal. But we'll see how it plays out. And this is something that not only me, but a lot of people are going to be talking about at length until either a deal gets done or more news comes out that says Lamar wants out. Like This is going to be one of the bigger talking points of the offseason. And for good reason. But if you're Atlanta, there's no reason to not at least pick up the phone if he becomes available and there's zero excuse as to why you should be hesitant to pull the trigger. But we'll see how it plays out. Super Bowl week. We'll be back later on in the week. Kevin Ostriker from Ravens Wire, my colleague at USA Today. He'll be joining us this week to discuss this more at length in terms of the Lamar Jackson situation. We'll break down more Super Bowl-related things as we get closer to Sunday. Monday as we're recording right now. So keep an eye out for that. So just a nice little short one to kick off your week. My thank you to Mike Gold Jr. for joining me. Um, stuff coming from me this week. I just, like I said, the stuff from Bears Wire, you can go back and read the practice reports from day one, day two, of Senior Bowl practices, and then my complete Senior Bowl notebook that came out today on Bears Wire. So keep an eye out for that. Mock draft number two will be coming for me this week as well for Bears Wire. So a ton of stuff on the USA Today side of things. Um, so that'll be coming for me later this week. And then uh, if you want to listen to No Notes, uh, Sadie Niangi from, from WrestleTalk will be joining me. Uh, one of the nicest human beings alive. I cannot wait to do that show with him. So it'll be a, a nice little sit-down conversation with Sadie Niangi from WrestleTalk uh, on No Notes later this week. That'll be recorded Thursday. So... If you enjoy that show as well, if you've enjoyed all the people I've sat down with on that show, uh, yeah, go give that a listen later on in the week. Satya Niangi from WrestleTalk. Uh, appreciate you guys listening as always. Again, go read everything uh, on Bears Wire uh, as well as uh, the uh, the pieces on Sports Illustrated. Give me a follow on Twitter at jbaileynfl. I would appreciate it very much. Keep up with all of my stuff. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys watching as always. We'll be back later on in the week with Kevin Ostriker from Ravens Wire and continue to make our way toward the Super Bowl, continue to make our way toward the NFL draft as, uh, yeah, we got four quarters left in the season. It's going to be a, uh, a busy few months and uh, we'll be here to keep covered. So appreciate everybody listening. This is the Pump Fake. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.